We're Not Dead, a podcast about a story of survival. to episode 39 of We're Not Dead, the official community podcast for We're Alive. I'm your host, Brittany Brombacher-Rocker-Rocker. And joining me is Nick Voodoo. Que pasa, Brittany Brombacher-Rocker? Oh, that was cute. I'm, I'm always impressed by your wait. ability to come up with new and in- innovati- innovative ways. Yeah, the, 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 I think the innovative part was that it was how it was, it, it was Spanish, but with a Jamaican accent. Yeah. So, well, yes, I'm very worldly today. Yes, good job. Uh, so I feel like it's been a while since we've done this. It has. It has well, been a hot I've minute since we've done this. Well, yeah, I, I had mine. I had mine last week, but you weren't here, so we haven't spoken in almost a month. It has not been sin- a while. Not since Angel got. Not since Angel ate a bullet salad. Oh, he did eat a bullet salad, indeed. Yeah, I was. Um, I think I mentioned this on the podcast, the last one I was on, but I was um at E three in Los Angeles all last week playing yep. a bunch of video games but from what i understand there wasn't an episode released anyway yeah it was because we were at, where live was partying in new york with me so they couldn't Great. do their normal due diligence and get an episode out yes. so so you didn't you didn't miss too too much and we covered you know 31 and uh, 30 part one i guess to make sure everyone's comprehending yes. 30 part one and all the epic coolness that was in terms of fowler and the <laughs> little big ones and the big little, little big ones, ones. And- yeah i think it's really picking up i mean it's you know i think for i mean i've always been interested in real life but like for the first time in a while i'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god you know <laughs> yeah and that was the thing i was saying the last time was it's you know now we've had like six you know we're we are at we've officially hit the halfway point of the season you know we've had six chapters to it in which to wrap up everything and now we have six more chapters to propel ourselves forward and get new information and new cool stuff and mm-hmm. uh, move forward instead of looking backwards and uh, the right storylines have been tied up and now we're able to move on exactly all right that, that's what i'm trying to get at i know so that's why i finished your sentence for you my man oh i know see that's what co-hosts do all right so let's get into this recap wait what i think that fighter's got a number on it what did you say it's hard to see though I gotta know. Salt! Damn you! The light! Oh, my bad, man. I was right. Number 12. Skinny. Pale. It's got the file nails. Lizzie's little ones. Alright, so the biter has number 12 on it. It has the file nails. It's skinny, pale. Saul calls it Lizzie's Little Ones, but Victor makes the remark that they're, they're not, not so, so little, little anymore. anymore. It was wearing torn pants, no shoes, or shirt, and it had self-inflicted scratches and stretch marks all over its skin, and it was at least six foot seven. Now that is a very lovely mental image. It, it, it's, it's just sort of like the Hulk, except not big and green. It, yeah. It's, it's big and grayish. Maybe, maybe the... it was a Laker player. <laughs> I don't know, it just sounds absolutely disgusting. I, for some reason, I have the, an image of, like, really scraggly, like, brown, greasy hair, and, like, kind of balding and, like, in patches and, like, ripped jeans and ugh. Ugh. Okay. That slightly describes, except for the skinny part, that's kind of how it describes me right now. Ripped <laughs> jeans, brown, scraggly hair, and fuck you. 
<laughs> you God. offered that up yourself. Okay. Yes, I know. <laughs> I, I'm very self-deprecating today. Yes. So Saul and Victor approach it. And for the first time ever, someone does what they're supposed to do in these these sorts of situations. Hold up. Saul ensured it would not be getting I don't back need this up. Thing getting back up. He noted that its skin was very tough. Damn, that's some tough skin. They hear gunshots and follow them, which lead them to Dominguez Elementary. Someone's still here. They left the man behind. Sounds like two. Two people are struggling with a closing door, and we found out it's Glenn and Pete. Who? Pete! Greg Miller! I want some water all of a sudden. (laughs) So these guys uh, shoot at Victor. Oh! No, Glenn, stop! Stop! It's me, Victor! Nice going. Dude, don't let them in! Who the hell are they? There's movement outside, and Victor and Saul <laughs> That's are... That's what friends are for. That's what they're for. And Victor and Saul are desperately trying to get inside, while Glenn and Pete are having a mini dispute as to whether or not to allow them in, but Glenn is a nice old man and lets them come in. Do it and we're all dead. I can't leave them out there. I don't like this. They're all around us. Hurry, get inside. Yeah, and by the way, let's point out that Pete is a dick. Yeah, he gets that way. Um, For those of you that do not remember, Glenn was from the colony. He was the radio communications guru. Really, like, sweet old man who I'm really happy to hear is still alive. Yes. And the one that Victor saved. So that's how he was able, that's how Victor was able to convince him to let Michael fuck with radios and stuff. Right. So they're still having issues closing the door once they're all inside. And this sucks because there is a thing that is still trying to get inside and, you know, kill them. Turns out the door frame is tweaked, but thanks to this concept called teamwork, the dudes are able to eventually get the door shut. But the thing is still outside trying to get in, so they brace furniture against the wall. Unfortunately, the thing outside is so strong that the metal door is starting to bow in. It's pun- so it's punching the door, and its fist is starting to, you know, like, come through. The center of the metal door bowed inward as the shape of a fist started to push into the room. As it got further in, the steel started to break apart, and the thin strip started to separate. The thing punches a clean hole through, and Saul uses that wait, opportunity to shoot wait, it. Wait, wait for what? Until the hole's big enough. Big enough for what? This. Turns out this thing was one of the little ones. Glenn said it was Roman, and he said a, a little one, like the one I saw outside, called number nine, killed Roman, and then Roman came after Glenn and Pete. Saul doesn't think that was Roman, as it looked just like the one outside laying on the ground, and Victor also says that couldn't have been Roman because turned ones can't do the shit that one just did, but Glenn seems pretty convinced it was. Victor introduces Glenn and Pete to Saul and explains that they're from the colony down south. you came on the chopper. No, they're from the colony down south. Glenn says they left the colony. We jumped ship. Saul contacts CJ via, CJ via the radio, and this turns Glenn on as he is, after all, a communications crew. Nice radio. Please band. He got a communications boner. He did. Saul tells CJ that have two survivors with them and that they missed, missed the, the chopper, chopper and they need pickup. Good old Pete tells them uh, they're at Dominguez Elementary, Elementary room four. Off of South Santa Fe Avenue. CJ says she'll have blindfolds ready and hangs up. I'll have the blindfolds ready. Out. Pete then gets upset that he gave their location over the radio. We found out Pete and Glenn thought the chopper belonged to Michael Peggs and that other girl, and they were looking for Michael for safety. We also found out that everyone thought Victor was dead. Victor reveals that the attack on the colony when the zombies breached the wall 
was a setup by Gatekeeper. Glenn and Pete weren't surprised. Glenn tells his Gatekeeper made up a bunch of lies about the whole thing, but that being said, Pete and Glenn were super pissed off that Victor didn't warn anyone of the attack, and that he left them with Gatekeeper, allowed Michael to misuse the radio, and left with their ammo. I think they have a pretty good argument. I think they're a bunch of pussies. Why did you come? Here? Specifically? The helicopter? No, no, no. Up north. You didn't follow it all the way here. It was the best idea we had. I thought that Michael and the others were different, but I was wrong. And you're as screwed up as all of them. Hey, hey, hey. Don't get mad at him, old man. Okay, he saved my life and my friends, not to mention my mom's and some girls. Saul asked why they came there in the first place. Glenn said it was the best idea they had, but it was stupid because all of them are no better than the other. Saul defends them, and defends Michael specifically, and for an example shows off his scar. Pete, in the fit of jealousy, says, Psh, that's nothing. Little Pete. Yeah, you know what? That He... Pete was throwing in some random, random little barbs that, like, the, that was nothing, and... Dick, you're a water seller. <laughs> know your role. Sell your water. I know. He's not a very happy water boy. No, he is not. He is not. Glenn suggests, you know, he thanks them. He, he thanks the Saul and Victor for, you know, helping them shut the door. But then he says, you know, maybe we can go our separate ways after all this is said and done. But Victor says they can potentially offer them a place to stay, or at least he hopes they can. Pete, however, doesn't like Saul, is pissed off at Victor, and is acting like he wants to, like, get as far away from them as possible, or some, or kick them out, or like you said, Nikki's making many, like, little jabs and, like, barbs, and he's just being very dickish. He's being a petulant... It's a sign he, of he, Pete we never saw. <laughs> I know, we saw the happy water boy, and now we're seeing, like, the teenage water boy. Yes. Like, the one that just got a fucking wedgie from the high school football team that, like, hung him on a locker. Yeah, that's the <laughs> Pete we're seeing right now. <laughs> So sad. So sad. Um, it is then revealed that someone was in fact listening when Michael made that radio call to the tower from the colony way back when. No, really. I know. Can you guess who it was? <gasps> I can, because I guessed way, way back when. You have no idea how much worse it got. Oh, come on. Victor and I took a trip down there a month ago, and it looked fine. Like nothing had changed. Why would you want to go back there? We got our own reasons. Do you have any idea what happened because of you and your friends? I wasn't there, so no. I knew Gatekeeper was going to be a problem, but... Actually, he wasn't that bad. It was the other change in management. You remember how Michael made that call? Turns out someone was listening. Yeah, it was the Maulers. And because the colony stock and ammo was so dwindled, it didn't take much for them to take over management in the beginning of August. The Maulers brought people to the colony. Pete said most of them work in the field and are slaves. Saul describes Lizzie to Glenn, but it doesn't ring a bell with him. However, Pete mentioned that there's a girl, quote, always hanging around the big guy. As she came into Pete's shop last week, and her name was Libby or something. Uh, what about the one that's always hanging around the big guy? I thought she was one of the prisoners. I, I mean, me too, but maybe not. I mean, she doesn't act like one of them. Uh, she came in my shop last week. Uh, what was her name? Libby, Libby or something. Lizzie? Yeah, that's it. Oh my god. Oh my god. You saw her. He says she was tall, blonde, has the chin thing, but she's not so skinny anymore. Saul asks, what, what do, do you mean? mean? Pete says, well, she's, she's pregnant, pregnant right? right? She's what? Dun, dun, dun. 
At the count of three, everyone raise your hands if you claimed about three quarters of the stuff that got revealed in this episode. I was just going to go there. I mean, it is... It was, uh, there was a comment on the forum, and I can't remember who posted it, but it was like, you know, it's too bad, you know, that we kind of all predicted this. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you get so many people together. For listeners that are not a part of the forum, zombiepodcast.com slash forum, you really should join because this kind of, you know, not to beat, but um, predictions and whatnot have been brewing for a very, very long time. So if all this came as a surprise to you, pshaw, you're behind, man. Come on, dude. Catch up with the times, yo. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a lot of stuff that we've been talking about, so it didn't come as a surprise. I'm pleasantly surprised. I I am happy that it came out this way. I'm happy that we now know for a fact that she is pregnant. Uh, I'm very happy to know that the Maulers did indeed go south, and it was because of Michael. Um, so, you know, it's it's good to get the confirmation of all that stuff. So, again, now we can move forward. Exactly. We can start to figure out where the plot might go right. uh, as, as we press ahead. Great. So we'll talk about the first topic, that Lizzie B. Pragers, and who's the baby daddy? So, uh, I mean, I think it's general consensus that it is Saul's child, but um, we'll read some theories from the forum. So Random Hijinks says, So Saul and Lizzie have been separated for roughly five months, or as the time Saul discovers Lizzie's condition, it's been about four. As pregnancy goes and showing anything less than four or five months, she wouldn't be showing enough to be called not-so-skinny. If Scratch had been protecting Lizzie since she was almost raped, I don't see much of a chance that the child could be anyone other than Saul's. So there's my vote for that. Skynet says, I'd like to think it's Todd's, simply because Saul has too much good shit going on for him in a zombie apocalypse. He has his girl, his mom, his dog, all alive and well. Relatively speaking, anyway, being that Tanya was bitten and we don't know what's come of that yet. He's had way too many chances. He survived in the back of the car. He survived being shot. Then he gets to play happy family when everyone else is pretty much alone. I do understand that he's not actually with Tanya, and we don't know how she's doing and all that. He may not be with Lizzie, but at least as far as we know, they're all alive. So I think for story purposes, it wouldn't make much sense for Todd to be the dad. I mean, I think he's gone. He's a long-forgotten part of this thing called We're Alive. Yeah, the only reason that I keep remembering Todd is around is because there's a forum member named Todd, Todd is, is dead. Todd is dead, yep. Yeah, and that's the only reason I keep remembering Todd. Who's Todd, right, the boyfriend. The boyfriend. No, uh, <clears throat> Todd makes very, very little sense story-wise, like you said. Uh, not to mention, in at the very, very very latest that he could have done that with Lizzie mm-hmm. would have been May because May 9th is the when the story starts. Right. So May 8th. So you're going then May to um, December, which mm-hmm. then puts her at seven months, which means that uh, her birth, the birth should be happening in February. Mm-hmm. Um, she would have been sick earlier. Right. She would have been sick from around maybe the point of like, and I'm spitballing and I'm generalizing, I understand that, you know, July. She would have been sick at the point that she was taking care of Saul all the time um, instead of the first sign being the end of the first trimester, which is when she would have actually been attacked by the Maulers and kidnapped, which was right in that time frame of the end, which would have been the end of her first trimester. So you figure maybe like a month and a half into it. So you're looking at like, okay. The 4th of July party. That's about the time when she would have potentially been knocked up. Yeah. Um, so. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, obviously all pregnancies were different. And you right. you know this because, uh, yeah, you just had a little spawn. 
Yes. But yes, I did. How old? How old is the spawn now? Spawn is almost four months. Stop saying spawn. So yeah, I mean, you know, everything's different, but I mean, I'm guessing it's stalls. I mean, what if? It, oh yeah. my God, what if it was bricks? <laughs> okay, we'll get into that. Oh, dude. Oh. Um, that is another can of worms all that together. That is another can of worms because, uh, you know, like Pete said, she's always hanging around that big guy. Um, well, it must be Bert. Oh, yeah, Bert. <laughs> I don't think they'd let Bert run around the colony all free. I don't think so either, but someone brought that up on the forum. It was like, it must be Bert. And I was like, no, Bert is not someone you let walk anywhere. And has Bert ever been really, like, has there been emphasis on his size before? You know, like, I don't really know what happened with uh, bricks and Tardis, but like I've said so many times before, it's just that little guy, big guy syndrome. You know, the big dudes, the really dumb, and then the little guys, the little weasley smart brains, yep. like Pinky and the Brain. Pinky and the Brain, uh, Lenny and freaking what's his junk in Of Mice and Men. Yeah, 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 exactly. Of Mice and Men is the perfect example. There you go. Uh, Ray has a theory. He says, I'm thinking that Scratch is protecting Lizzie because she wants a bargaining chip. Bricks is protecting her because he seems to be the only one with a conscience and doesn't want to see a pregnant woman hurt. He even started to call her Elizabeth before she told him to call her Lizzie. Scratch probably doesn't care about Lizzie because she's a good person, only because she wants something to have in her quiver should she need to bargain with anyone from the tower should they see each other again. The only person she's ever shown to respect or care about was Darai, and even then she's gone against his orders once before. I don't think that she per se respects Darai. She may fear Darai. I get the, more of the feeling that she might fear him, but I think she also might be using him. Oh, don't get me wrong. She she is a master manipulator. She's yes. using Dry. That is absolutely true. I think there is a maybe a healthy respect in terms of I have to watch what I do and how far I go. Because mm -hmm. I can't go full, like, she has to have reasons for, like, why she attacked the tower. She has to have a reason for what happened to the tanker that got stolen. Right. Uh, you know, she always has to have something to say to him that gets her off. She can't just go out and do what she wants to do like she probably wants to. Mm -hmm. She always has to have something to back her up. Because right. if she doesn't, Darai would probably kill her. Because he's that kind of a person from what we are told. So, you know, she has to have somewhat of a respect for him. But mm -hmm. not enough that she actually follows his orders. Because obviously, she has defied him three times now. So. so, yeah, she's she's not, you know, a good little... Uh, she's not a good little soldier. There we go. All right, so there's also mention of the slaves that the Mullers brought with them. And so it's like, who are the slaves? Who are these people? Um, Evie Bay says, who thinks the slaves are the old guards from the prison? And Litmaster says, it's likely that CJ knows many of the slaves in the colony. Most probably came from Dunbar Tower. What's your take on that, Nick? Uh, um, I think that the majority, uh, the majority of them have to be people that probably just amassed, that they, they amassed, they, that they found, because again, the prison guards idea. Look what they did with Kalani and Hannah, kind of thing. Right, know? that sort of thing where they lucked upon people and then just immediately pressed them into servitude. Yeah, there may be some guards in there. I don't think that that's going to be the majority of the population. I think it's going to be some of them. Because otherwise, why would CJ have those police band radios and, mm -hmm. you know, keep mentioning all these police type things and why CJ has an obsession with the Maulers and, right. you know, my my comparison to, to Sean is the big boss man. Um, I think some of them are, are old prison guards. I think they have a nice guards. gaggle of everybody. 
Yeah, but I would say that the majority of them are people that just happen to find a big, strong group of people at the beginning of Hell on on Earth, mm -hmm. and they just so happen to have picked worse Hell on Earth. Yes. You were better off getting your face eaten. <laughs> I think we'll probably come across some... Well, I don't know if, if we will, but I'm you know come across some important characters that'll eventually be part of the slaves. You know, like CJ will know, and there might be a standout slave, and they become a character. That could be interesting. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you have a role as a slave, and we don't know it. Maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who is right. this big guy Lizzie's hanging with? We kind of already touched on this earlier, um, but we have a few more theories on that. Privateer says, so Lizzie's hanging around one of the more bigger prisoners then. The redeemable guy, most likely. Anyone else think she's moved on from Saul? It has been months, after all, and it gives CJ an opening. <laughs> I don't think that Lizzie has moved on from Saul. Um... <laughs> The, there, there is the potential for Stockholm Syndrome. However, Lizzie being a psychiatrist, I don't think that she would fall victim to that easily. Mm -hmm. So she's not going to identify with her captors. She's not going to, you know, try to protect them and blah, blah, blah. blah. All, all the things that are involved in the Stockholm Syndrome. I don't think she's going to fall victim to that. I think that she's smarter than that and she understands what she, the situation is and she's probably... And what she has to do to survive and stay safe and Right, but not really succumb to the idea of identifying with them and becoming right. one with them and, right. you know, going to rob a bank with them like, you know, <laughs> someone did in the 70s very famously. Yes. Um, I, I think that she's probably using whomever this large individual is, Bricks, to her advantage. Right. And I think that it's not as manipulative as I'm making it sound. I think that Bricks was assigned to her and because she has him around, she might just form the friendship because otherwise she has no one to talk to. I think it would be really fun to see down the road Bricks killing Scratch. That might know be interesting. Who would get the privilege of killing Scratch? Maybe Scratch will never die. But, you know, it could just be one of those main like you know, you see this kind of shit in video games all the time. Like, bad yeah. guy turns good because he was never really that bad to begin with. And then he joins your party and then he's, like, super awesome. And he knows lots of cool skills to help fight beasts and, you know, can't yeah, so get it, off topic. And, of course, it's always the guy with the dark magic that you've <laughs> had to fight, like, 17 times. Okay. And he kicks yeah. your ass all the time. Why is it in video games, a little, like, mini rant here, uh, totally off topic, when you... You know, that's, you know, in games, you sometimes you acquire the boss. They join your party. You're fighting this person throughout the entire game. You finally defeat them. They're like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to join your party. They are never nearly as strong as they were when you were fighting them. I they know. They suddenly they... become, like, pansified because they're now in your group. So they can't have you, like, with this big old tank because that would just be cheap and I don't know. <laughs> anyway. all, I th all I think of is over and over again, whenever this kind of conversation comes up, is uh, Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Because... However you say his name, mages or magus or whatever. <laughs> Total pimp. Horrible black hole death move that drains your energy. And then you come up against, like, this little itty-bitty imp and you do the same move. And it's like, oh, totally ineffective. Well, fuck you. I, know. I got killed 17 times in a row. Brit has not played that game. With that thing. I know. With that move. Yep. Do you know how many life spells I had to cast? <laughs> you know. Telling you, that's how it goes. Um, all right, so back to where life. strike didn't work. <laughs> what is up with the little ones? Privateer says, it seems like the little ones might turn into the behemoths. So they might not even be turned people at all. Slash people at all. Yay info in the pending lead up to the Rambo West rescue of our favorite retired Marine. And probably Saul deserting to do it. 
So yeah, um, like Privateer said, you know, when it, it was Angel and Kalani, right? They came across the behemoth like in person and were like examining it. They made the yeah. mention of the tough skin, the stretch, stretch marks, marks. I think pimples. they even said acne. Yeah, pimples. pimples. Or something. Okay. Yeah. So you know, kind of how like Saul described this one. It almost seems like they're morphine into a behemoth. Yeah. You know Unless what? That... It's a common trait these things share. You know, like tough skin and stretch marks because whatever was happened to them. Yeah, I'm. Again, because we don't know, I, I really want to know what a behemoth's hand looks like right now. I yeah. really want to. I, w- I wish I had the description, which leads me to believe that it's probably important that we don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to know what a behemoth's hand looks like because right. that would lead us to a great deal of information as to whether or not the little ones do become behemoths. Right. And I'm I'm really starting to not like how that's coming out because that's starting to go into Franken zombie theory. And building and creating, and that's just off to me. What I do like about it, though, was the idea that uh, it's sort of like like begets like. Mm -hmm. If you are turned by a regular zombie, you are Mm -hmm. regular. If you are turned by a runner, you become a runner. Mm -hmm. If you are turned by a little one who happens to be an adolescent one or whatever, (laughs) that's what you become. So if Roman's any indication of that, that's really interesting. That, could that, be very to me, that to me is very interesting. Yeah. So that Maybe means Skittles that... will come back as a behemoth. <laughs> Skittles, okay. I don't know what Skittles, Skittles will come back as a, a, a bag a, of candy. I don't know. A bag of candy. Yeah. Um, Chogi Dog says, what's the possibility that each type of zombie turns a human into its own type? Okay, we just t- talked about this. It seems Roman got turned into a new improved little one. The last potential turner was Tommy, and his real life was too short to tell. When Pigs and Riley were trapped in the flower shop, it was just a free-for-all or the basic grunt zombies in the crowd. Man, I hope Ink doesn't turn anyone into anything. Okay. That is all I have to say about that. <laughs> oh god, that would not be good. <laughs> oh man, there's 15 smart ones. That sucks. Oh wow. Oh, that could get so bad. Oh dear. Okay. Um. Oh, I'm just thinking about that. Yeah that that would be epic. Full like, like out World War style looking like shit oh, going down. And they all are in immaculate suits. Every <laughs> single one of them. <laughs> Okay, that just ruined the moment. All right. Um, I, so, I Hot4D says, I was actually thinking about the same thing. Perhaps the cracks created your generic zombie, Ink, had something to do with the whole deal, and took it upon himself to better the version 1.0 zombies. Whatever they are, they propagate themselves. Mm-hmm. Adventurous Hero, I do believe Lizzie's little ones are all grown up. I don't think it was intended for them to remain little all, the, all through their life cycle. It seems to me that Pinstripes is tinkering with the virus that created these zombies. I think he's mutating it to create different forms of zombies. Hell, from the sound of it, these little ones kind of resemble him, except he's outfitted them with talons. It could be, their clo- it could be they are clones of him or offspring. Edit edition. I'm also beginning to wonder about something Kalani said. He told that the biters in Hawaii were a lot nastier and meaner. Could that be because they didn't have a leader to hold them back? We've heard pinstripes give commands to withdraw and halt attacks. Perhaps they seemed meaner in Hawaii because they weren't being commanded, but rather were just a bunch of free-willed roamers attacking to try to satisfy an insatiable hunger for living flesh. I think it actually has a lot more to do with the fact that Hawaiians are just a lot pissier than we think they are. Oh. I mean, honestly, if you live in paradise, what is what else is there to do? 
you don't have any like life goal like oh i live in paradise i want to go live in kentucky nick is very bitter to all of our hawaii listeners do not listen to him he is not representative of this podcast what i am a representative of this podcast i'm just a dick no but you get what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. But if, like, you're already living in paradise, wh- oh. wh- what life goal do you have? It's not like I'm living in the middle of, like, Rochester, New York, because that's where I was from. And, like, I need to get out of Rochester, New York. Where do I go? I want to go someplace warm with ocean. I want to go to Hawaii. It's not like it, the reverse works. It's not like, man, I want to go where it's going to be cold and snowy nine months out of the year. I want to go to a lake effect filled water. What the hell are you singing? That was my that was my violin. I was breaking out to soothe your your woes. I am not a three-headed dog on the third floor. Stop that. <laughs> okay. So, um if you're from Hawaii, I apologize. Nick does Nick does love I do down. too. I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like everyone's thinking the same thing, you know. Well, except for Adventurous Hero has a point here where he's thinking of the little ones were little to begin with, but now they're going to transform into these big old behemoths. So it's kind of it's kind of like a Pokemon, ladies and gentlemen. You have Bulbasaur, Ivysaur, and Venusaur. You start out with a little one, you get an adolescent one, and then you turn out to be, be a big behemoth. Oorah. That's Adventurous Hero's theory. Okay. I, it's so hard, again. So hard to know. I I have tried to think the best way through it, and the only thing I can think of is, uh. Yeah, Tim Allen. I like that. I you know I really do like Adventurous Heroes theory though. I like that. I think that would make more sense, especially if you're gonna think about it from the whole like quote unquote test tube creation theory. You know where you're created to be a little, and you just kind of like grow, and maybe some shit's going down at the zombie test tube, you know, laboratory, and they're all breaking out, and they're not supposed to break out until they're full behemoths. You don't know. I don't know, but I do think it's actually kind of it, it was something I thought of, and I didn't post it, and I don't, I don't think anyone else did either. But did you think it, it's also kind of interesting? We think back to when we saw the little ones for the first time. What else was around there? A pair of behemoths. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So if they are actually, you know, your, your Pokemon's evolved, <laughs> you know, um, your behemoth evolved, or your little one evolved into a behemoth. So if they were hanging around that all together, and, and two of them happened to just, or one of them, because one of them was Arrowhead, dude. Um, you know, one of them happened to evolve, but, it, you know, they were in close proximity to each other, and so, I don't know, that's sort of strange, and if they are evolving into each other, then it makes a lot more sense as to why they were near each other. Why they were so close, right. Right, and because, you know, it was all, you know, Skittle said, the the the, the, the behemoths don't like, or no, nothing likes being around behemoths. Mm-hmm. Well, if you turn into one, I guess you don't mind being around yourself. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. Good, good point, Nick. <laughs> Why, thank you. Um, so we have some future predictions as to what might just go down in the future episodes. Hmm. So Wheat says, so Mahler's at the colony. Awesome. That should make for an intense firefight. Now that Glenn can get the sat phone working, like previously mentioned, it's probably guaranteed we will be making contact with Kimmet and Michael. Maybe we'll get some slick marine-like stealth penetration into the compound. After what Casey managed to pull off in the arena and in the escape from the colony, I'm betting he could pull something very difficult like this off as well. The thing I have against attacking the colony Mm -hmm. is we saw what happens when you attack the arena. 
is nothing really seems to go well and you get out by the skin of your teeth. You saw what happened when you attacked the tower in chapter 12 and 13 is you get turned back because it's harder to take something by force. Uh-huh. If, I'm sorry, am I boring you? No. I heard, no. I, I heard a yawn. It's been a long day, my man. I understand. Uh, but the idea of Saul, even with military support mm-hmm. going in and trying to infiltrate the colony, I don't like that idea. Simply because I don't like that idea. I don't. I don't yes. think that we can let Saul run off on these tangents because we've seen how bad his planning is. And I understand he's got CJ planning for him now, and he's the executor of it. But still, I don't think that it's something that anyone around him should let him even attempt to do. I think, even if he's not going to listen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. I think Saul, you know, has somehow managed to pull off everything he's done. But if someone's going to do this, I'd rather it not be him. I'd rather it be someone else. Or, I mean, I think it's time, like, something goes right, you know, with the takeover. It, it, I think it'd be very satisfying to see the Maulers, like, for once under siege and be like, oh, fuck. Well, I, I, and I was just talking on the forum about this, like, uh, just before we came on the air today. Uh, I don't think that the... Because there are people that are predicting the Mauler storyline is over and they're done. And it'll be like the end of this season. They're not going to survive it and they're all going to be dead. And that leaves just the zombies. And I think that's not true. I think the Maulers are as important to the story, if not more so, than the zombies are. Because it's the human element. And the humans are far more dangerous because of their ability to... think Mm -hmm. i'm whole not just like one of them can think and control a bunch of people right right. they all have the ability to think and they all have the ability to plan um i don't think the maulers are done yet i don't think it would be again i do agree it would be great to see them under siege and how they would handle the pressure but i don't think it's gonna happen i don't i think even if they are under siege i think something's gonna happen because i agree i don't want to see the maulers go away like you said they they provide that human conflict you know that the zombies or whatever you want to call them just can't do Right, like if you think of the stand, there's human conflict, and then there's, you know, the devil, or demons, or whatever. You know, you have to have the human conflict, or else the story just becomes, you know, it it becomes a lot of just the same thing over and over again, which people are like, oh, that's that's the problem with the Maulers. Yeah, but now you have the zombies to sprinkle into it to lighten up the story and to change change the pace of things, Mm -hmm. and then you still have the Maulers to go back to, to change the pace again. And refresh the story. Yeah, I agree, dude. All right, Litmaster says, Ironically, it might be news of Angel's capture by the Maulers that prompts a self-rescue effort into the colony, given that an officer is now in, is now in what would be a POW situation. This, of course, assuming that none of the Irwinites gets news that Angel's already dead. My guess is that Glenn Pete will find the Dunbar crew will fill the Dunbar crew in on who has been captured at the colony, that some of these people will be from CJ's old crew, and that she will want to go help spring them, that Saul is going to communicate with Michael via sat phone and tell him the intel about Lizzie, Bert, and Angel, and Michael is going to push Kimmet to rally a strike force or something to free them. Cabbage Patch says, Colonel Kimmet struck me as 
struck me as a very by-the-book kind of officer, and when we last saw him, he was maintaining the forms and policies of the U.S. Army. The colony would have to be a priority for him. To the best of our knowledge, it's the third largest concentration of humans left in the world. It's potentially a threat to Fort Irwin because of its proximity and to the availability of heavy weaponry in the region. And as part of the United States, its population are still U.S. citizens. I wouldn't be surprised if the recon mission we saw wasn't part of an effort to figure out more about the colony and the Maulers prior to taking action. The only thing I have issue with about that is that if it was intended to be... uh about the Maulers, then wouldn't it have pressed south? Michael knows where the colony or where the colony is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wouldn't have to have them set down and press out towards you know Long Beach. He could have them set down and press out directly to the colony. He knows exactly where it is. So I don't think that the intel mission was colony specific. I actually think it might have been more. Uh, I have more time to think about this since last week. I think it is a lot more zombie nest specific. Mm-hmm. Like, here you are. I'm putting you here. Press out towards Long Beach or out towards, you know, the shore. We'll pick you up out there. If you find anything interesting to me, well, mark it down because I want to know where all these little things are. Mm-hmm. Where all their little nests might be. Okay. Um. Yeah. Penguin says, I doubt the Maulers would move on Irwin. It's about 200 miles, and a good portion of that drive is through the desert. And they pretty much used up all of Bert's RPGs attacking the tower, didn't they? Don't they think they would move on Boulder? Don't think they would move on Boulder, because I don't think they know Boulder exists, and it's over a thousand miles away. But here's the thought. Is Edwards Air Force Base going to come into play? I was stationed out there many years ago, and it is quite desolate, but I am sure there will be aircraft on the ground, an abundance of fuel and vehicles, weapons, and it would be easy to see anything coming for miles. They have troops at Irwin. Maybe there's a fixed-wing pilot or two there. So if their uh, Edwards Air Force Base comes into play, Penguin, you will get credit for that? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, if they have pilots for it, great, but, you know, if the point was that the Maulers were trying to find uh, equipment in which to go attack people. They got rid of their pilot. They sent him to the tower, and he 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 done killed himself. He done killed himself. There you go. He wasn't that good of a pilot. I mean, fuck, he he crashed right into the ground. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do a really good job in their recruiting efforts. Um, yeah, I know. On the contrary, Witch Doctor says, I cannot see a reason why Colonel Kim would even want to attack the colony. Sure, Michael could tell him what kind of poopy heads are in charge of the colony, but will he say that all of the residents are poopy heads? I don't think he'll screw over the innocent colonists like that. Even if he was successful in convincing the Colonel that those in charge are jerks, it doesn't seem likely that he will approve of an assault to settle a score for Michael without reaching an independent conclusion about the colony. I think Kimmet would most likely want to rescue the colonists from the zombies, offer sanctuary to the colonists who want to leave, fortify the colony as a stronghold, leave it alone if it's too dangerous to rescue people, look for recruits, and offer... Okay, and then my copy and paste did not work. Anyway, (laughs) so, there you go. Yeah, uh, that is much more in line with what I'm thinking, is Mm -hmm. that Kimmet has no reason to attack the colony. Right. At all. Yeah, there was a little coup there. So what? That really is not his concern. How they, as survivors, decided to govern themselves. Mm-hmm. His main concern is people and retaking ground. And if those people can help him retake ground, he'll want them. Mm-hmm. You know. And if they happen to resist him, uh-oh, I'm the army and I have a whole bunch of weapons. And I have a whole bunch of toys. And they're all better than yours. Right. I, I mean, I can't see, you know, unless... 
I, I can't see, you know, Kimmet being like, oh, you have friends at the colony. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me risk tons of my men to go rescue them. Exactly. That is exactly the point. Unless there's some shit going down over there that convinces him otherwise that there's something very important at the colony that's worth their taking. Who knows what the Maulers have or who knows what they need that the that um, Orwin doesn't have. But there, I'm right. sure there will be a reason for this eventually, but I don't think we have that reason yet. Yeah, I mean, maybe one of the reasons is he plans on, if, if he wants to annihilate the zombie threat in the Los Angeles area and he plans on nuking it, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. I now know of a stronghold of humanity left. I want to evacuate them all before I nuke the place. Yeah, sure, maybe that's how the contact gets initiated and then horrible mm-hmm. things happen when they all show up at Irwin uh, or Boulder, wherever they get dropped off. I would imagine it has to be Irwin first. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. the only, it, just a straight-up out attack without contact first from Kimmet it makes no sense to me. Now, do you think the, the colony would attack Irwin if they even no. know about it? No, I don't they think can't, so. It they can't make get sense. there. Even even if it made even at Mall, it's not true. It makes perfect sense from Scratch's point of view to do it, but the execution of it, oh my god, how? That's what I'm. I mean, you that's can't. Why... You can't. You can't get there. The roads are clogged, and if you try and clear it, you die. And this goes back to what we were they saying. They see you from a mile. You, they see you coming from a mile away. Right. So yeah, I'm thinking something's gonna have to be initiated from Irwin first. Yes. So I, I think everyone is itching and dying to see a war between the colony and Irwin. I mean, that's something that they've been wanting for a long time. Yeah, and hey, go back to what we were saying just a little bit before. Human-to-human conflict. We want to see a war between the Irwinites and the colony. Mm-hmm. Where are the zombies involved in that? We don't want to see that war. Exactly. Because all people want to see with the zombies is they want to see, like, you know, Ink kill people because he's a pimp. Yes. Now we haven't, yeah, pimp ass zombie. We haven't really touched on where you think Saul and um, Saul and uh, that kid. He's Victor. Why well, totally brain farted? Saul and Victor. <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to say Kalani at first, and that, I don't know that insurance salesman together. That's that's so sad. Anyway, so we haven't talked about you know Saul, Victor, Glenn, and Pete. Where do we think they're gonna go? Obviously, you know, CJ's on her way. She's claiming yep. she's going to have blindfolds. I mean, maybe they'll get back to Dunbar in one piece, but that seems a little boring to me. Well, yeah, but then again, we also thought that we were going to see much more of the interrogation of Bert, too, in theory. Yeah, uh, which, unless this is the longest interrogation ever, <laughs> um, I get the feeling we are probably not going to see that. Right. Um, I am itching, though, for my consult to talk. That's kind of like, I really I don't, I, yeah, I think that's something that might happen in maybe, maybe next chapter or the chapter after. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to happen now because he still has, I don't remember, did he discover he has a satellite phone yet? Oh, I don't know. I don't think he has. I don't, I don't think, I think he has paid attention to the name tag mm-hmm. and the patch and his radio and that's it. I don't think he yeah. figured out he has a sat phone yet. Um... So, I don't think that the, the the we have to go through that discovery first. We have to sit on it for a while. You know what I mean? Like, we have to get to the point where we can't move forward anymore. And then, oh, look, here's this new thing that can help me do what I need to do. And I didn't know I had it before. Glenn, can you help me? Right. And then Glenn helps. So, I think that's like a chapter or two away from now. I don't think it's now. I think that we'll... Actually, I have no idea what we're going to see next chapter because if we're th- if we're thinking in terms of like the continuation, I think that we'll see CJ show up, and I think that they're going to get attacked on the way out. 
because uh, I don't Some think shit most has to go down. Right. Things a little too right. smooth. Right, I think something. Right now. Yeah. It's been a while since we've had a, a harrowing escape from a place. Right. You know what I mean? So maybe that's what happens next chapter. But I think that they will all successfully get to Dunbar, and then, um, what do you think of the the idea that uh, Pete and Glenn are spies? Did you see that or no? I, I did see that theory on the forum. So yeah, um, there's a theory going around that Pete and Glenn actually might be spies, and I think some people had some evidence that we're backing that up with, or in their mind evidence. Um, how Pete... I think it's in their mind evidence. What? I think it was in their mind evidence. In their mind evidence. I, I'm i not, I don't think so. Glenn's too yeah. nice of a sweet old man. He would never do that. Yeah, and you know what? Pete uh, was way too genuine in his emotions mm-hmm. in terms of the betrayal of Victor and, you know, fuck you, buddy. And well, I, I didn't ask for your help right. and all that other crap. That he, the, those little jabs that he was taking, they were, they were a little too genuine for me to be like, Ah, uh, he. There's something untowards with this gentleman. Something's not right. No, it, it, no, nothing. Nothing popped in my head that said Pete is anything other than what he appears to be. Yeah, no, I. I don't think they're spies. I mean, I. I. No. I mean, no. they're not even that well equipped. And it's you know, if you're gonna send out some spies, you you think they'd be a little more um equipped for the situation, which one would hope. All right, Nick. Well, that is all I have. Unless you have any final tidbits you'd like to add. Oh, sure. There's a couple of um, things from the the post from the We're Not Dead 39. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one's from G Money, mm-hmm. and uh, he was very excited to hear Greg was back. And since mm-hmm. he didn't have a theory he wanted to post, he decided to post a story from the Alive in the Flesh back in April of last year. All right. Um, so this is a story that actually involves you, Brittany. Aww. In in great detail sometimes. Uh, it was in the flesh in a 2011 event and party and after party. And Greg had had one too many beers. He was going on about how awesome he was since he's Pete and he's hosting the event with the sexy Brit. <laughs> and God, he wouldn't shut up about IGN. So we were chopping it up about the event and having a good time. Greg was rambling about something that was irrelevant. But my eyes kept wandering towards Brit. Oh. Oh. So the clock hit midnight and both Greg and Brit had to leave. Greg then proclaims in his drunkenness, I cannot finish my beer. Can anyone help me? I guess I'd had one too many to drink, too. Besides, I didn't want to waste a good beer, and I wanted to impress Brit. So I, <laughs> so I snatched it from his hand and pounded it without hesitation. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but soon afterward, I realized what I had done was impressing Brit with my drinking prowess worth knowing that what Greg's lips taste like. I can't believe I essentially kissed Greg Miller via beer bottle. Yuck. But hey. <laughs> I got a laugh from the group and a smile from Britt, and now a gigantic laugh. Uh, I guess in the end, I won. Thanks for the bro kiss, Greg. I will never do that ever again. Britt is incredibly hot. Keep up the good work, Nick. <laughs> so well, I thought I that was awesome. Money. Oh, I'm trying to recall that. You know, that was a very fuzzy night. Uh, I wonder why. Very, very fuzzy night. You know, the after party, I remember we went from the Nerdist place to uh, the comic book place to another place. And I remember drinking and remember Greg said he couldn't finish his... Okay. Well, in, it's in it's any just case, slowly coming you. back to you now. <laughs> that being um, said, I'm sure that this has been talked about already, Nick. I'm sure you brought it up. But the in, in the flesh, we're live sh- live show thing. Oh, the, the upcoming one. Yes. Yeah, we mentioned it uh, vaguely... In the unofficial sense of the last time you and I did a podcast together uh, for 29.3. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, July yeah. 27th in Los Angeles. 
Long Eglise. Yes, a lot more details on zombiepodcast.com slash forum, and you need to make sure you were there. Unfortunately, Greg won't be there, but I will be there, and I will have a co-host with me, and we'll be giving out prizes, and it'll be so much fun. So try to go, please. Yes, and this time, you definitely have to buy your tickets ahead of time. There is a link on the forum. There's also a link on the Facebook page event. So make sure you buy your ticket in advance, because mm-hmm. you just have to buy them in advance. Buy your ticket in advance. It's yeah. always better to buy it in advance. You can buy um, it from brownpapertickets.com slash event slash 250608. There you go. What she said. There you go. Um, Cabbage Patch uh, has a scenario that would make uh, Brit, Pete, uh, Michael Love Triangle possible. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. We know that at least some of the people evacuated from Southern California passed through Fort Irwin before being evacuated to Boulder. We also know the colony was originally one of the evac sites. So here's the scenario. Nurse Brit and her boyfriend Pete are at Costco <clears throat> in Orange County buying bottled water for a party. <laughs> when they get word that something horrible is happening in L.A., ignoring Brit's demands that they stay at Costco, <laughs> Pete drives her and his bottle of water to the uh, party site in uh, Centennial Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is right. I, thought I, was, I was like, no, it's Memorial Park. No, that's what he corrected. Uh, they get there only to find the place has been turned into a LZ for the Coast Guard evacuation helicopters. They get ready to board a chopper, but Pete drops out of line because they won't let him take his water bottles with him. <laughs> Britt ends up at Fort Irwin uh, waiting for a follow-up flight that never arrives. She refuses evacuation of Boulder so she can stay at Fort Irwin to wait for Pete. Enter Michael, who starts hanging out at the hospital so he can keep tabs on Tanya. He and Nurse Britt get to know one another, and one thing leads to another. Brown, chicka, wow, wow. <laughs> Just when it looks like the two of them are going to uh, break their dry streak together, Michael mentions Pete the traitor at the colony. Complications ensue. And now Pete's back. How long before he turns up at Fort Irwin? And which one has he missed more, Nurse Brit or his beloved water bottles? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Um, That's funny. At, I was at, talking to Greg a little bit. and um, Yeah, we're going to, we and him decide we need to have some heated discussions regarding which character is better. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Well, if I ever get my character, then I'll join in the fun. Until then, I'll moderate the debate. There you go. There you go. Um, and just because he said I wouldn't do it, and now I'm going to, uh, Adventures Hero posted a litany of bunch of crap. But since we're talking about you know Pete stories and Greg Miller a lot, uh, he believes Pete dies in a skirmish as he uh, tucks tail and run. Sorry, Greg. I think Pete would be a coward. It's not on you. Yeah. So Adventures Hero thinks that Pete's going to die. You know what? I really kind of believe he's going to. I don't see him living. I don't. Story. I don't see him living too. He's too much of a pansy, you know. I, he, I mean, Kalani kind of started off as a pansy, but uh, Gre- not Greg. And <laughs> Pete is no pansy. I mean, Pete is a pansy. He and you know what I mean. I yeah. I I hate to say it, and there's someone else on the forum too that predicted that Pete will die. Yep. I I uh, I didn't wait. There was someone else. I thought I only saw Adventurous Heroes. Oh, was I that only Adventurous Heroes? There was something in the main forum that had a. It was a. I don't know. It was a prediction. Oh, okay. I, I must have missed that one, then. I yeah. only saw the one on the uh, We're Not Dead. Oh, okay, yeah. So, if that's the case, that'll be very sad. I'll have to get Greg back on so we can poke fun at him for dying. Yeah, can we get him on? If his character dies, can we please get him on? Oh, yes. It'll happen. Because that'll be amazing. <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. I think that we're getting to the point of punchy. Punchy, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. So, all of y'all, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll have a episode 30 40 40 40 
Holy shit. Okay, yes. Episode we're getting 40 old. Said, we are getting old and we're lives getting super old. So, <laughs> for Nick and for me, thank you and for And for listening. Bees, in case he interjected. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he put in a smart asterisk somewhere in this podcast. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and we're out. Bye. <laughs>